I, I haven't figured out how to open these podcasts yet. Like, I don't really know what the right thing to say is. Um, I feel like every every time I try, I end up copying somebody else. So I either do like a Mark Marin, this is my podcast, welcome to it, uh, kind of thing. Or like a Adam Buxton, hey, how you doing, podcasts? Um, and I, don't, I, don't, I haven't quite found my authentic voice yet but it's only episode two give me a break um so uh first of all can i say those of you who listened to episode one and sent me feedback um thank you i love you guys it really brightened my week um to get a couple of messages from people who'd listened to it and who appreciated it um people who i wasn't expecting to have listened to it um so to those of you who listened and sent feedback, thank you so much. Um, I'm really grateful to you. And thank you for joining me for episode two. Um, today's episode is a conversation with my friend James. Um, Raul, in episode one, I think I introduced him as being one of my oldest friends. Um, James is one of my newer friends. I've only known James for, I, I think, a couple of years um, he does youth work stuff in London um, and recently in Norwich as well. Um, I'll tell you about that in a second. Uh, and we met at a kind of Christian youth work event in London. Now, saying a Christian youth work event makes every muscle in my body tense because I hate Christian youth work events. I'm so glad not to be in that world anymore. Um, I can say that now because I'm no longer a Christian youth worker. Um, but that is where we met. Uh, and actually, there was a, there was a kind of, um, uh, I don't know how to phrase it without it kind of sounding romantic, but um, let's call it bromantic. I felt with James, there was a spark straight away. Like I, I felt like I connected that we connected with each other um in quite a deep way really very quickly um and i i can remember so we met at this event and then not long after that we got a coffee together and that coffee was the first time we'd hung out together kind of one-to-one -one, and i felt like i was talking to a brother to a to a, a kindred spirit um so i've been really grateful for james these past couple of years um i as i think many of you know have had quite a difficult excuse me, a kind of tricky uh, 18 months. Um, and James has been a brilliant friend and sounding board, both personally and professionally. Um, he he really kind of um, has just been a great friend and I'm grateful to him. So uh, as James is involved in youth work, and I up until very recently was involved in youth work, this is a conversation about young people and youth work. Um, so James and I both grew up in the church um, and we talk a little bit about our experiences of growing up in Christian youth groups and what, what that was like and the good things we got from that and the bad things that we got from that. Uh, and then we talk a little bit about uh, the kind of the state of youth work in the church or what we what we hope for young people um, what we think the faith has to offer to young people. And again, just like in the conversation with Raul, recognizing the the problematic things of kind of christian subcultures uh that we've created so uh, i won't go on for too much longer just to say if you um are interested in some of the themes of this conversation that i would really really recommend you check out two things uh concrete is uh the kind of youth work organization that uh james um has been running for a few years based in london um so check out their website um i hang on what, what is their website i can't remember let me find it for you uh concreteonline.org and on concrete online you'll find um articles and blogs and conversations that uh, hopefully you'll find interesting you might if you dig deep enough even find a couple of articles written by me uh when i was still in the christian youth work world so that's that. Check out Concrete Online if you're interested in uh, the world of Christian youth work and particularly if you're interested in coming at it from a slightly um, uh, reflective, nuanced, uh, maybe slightly critical kind of a way, then Concrete, you'll find voices who you resonate with, I'm sure. Uh, and the other thing for you to check out is uh, the community that um, James has started 
uh, with a few other youth workers in Norfolk. Um, I think I might have said Norwich earlier on. I didn't mean Norwich. I meant Norfolk. So um, James has... I don't think we talk about it in the podcast, so I'll tell you now quickly. This amazing story where uh, basically uh, him and a couple of other youth workers were given a convent um, in Norfolk in a place called Ditchingham. Um, This huge, amazing, beautiful building. uh, And they are going to use the space to create a kind of uh, Christian community for and with young people. It's a really exciting project. And the fact that it has James steering it, um, as well as another guy, Jamie, those guys together fill me with confidence that this is going to be an amazing, brilliant project in a way that, uh, again, the idea of Christian youth work communities that would normally make me cringe a little bit with these guys. I know it's going to be great. So check out their website. It's be with dot community so b-e-w-i-t-h dot community so check out those two things if you're interested in some of the stuff that we talk about just to find uh voices and thoughts that kind of continue the conversation um and if you're not interested in any of that stuff um uh well sorry because <laughs> that's what this is going to be for the next hour or so um but i'm grateful you're here anyway uh, i hope you find something r- engaging at some point in the conversation um just a quick thing just that you know we had a bit of a technical glitch while i was recording this episode which is slightly annoying so the the track of my voice and the track of james's voice aren't quite fully in sync so occasionally you'll hear me reacting to something that james says before he said it Uh, i don't know how to fix it i'm not a technical guy um so it just is what it is uh hopefully it's not kind of a massive distraction So here we go. This is my conversation with James that begins with a conversation about a time in which I was offered a glass of whiskey. Uh, I don't like whiskey, uh, but I wanted to seem courteous. And more importantly, I wanted to seem relatively masculine for the guy who gave it to me and and not like... like someone who can't handle his drink um so i accepted the whiskey and forced it down even though i didn't enjoy it and we begin with a conversation about that thanks again for tuning in uh bye i think that um you can definitely put water in whiskey as a like as a thing like that's a thing that's a legitimate way to drink whiskey and like people would say that connoisseurs would say that that likes in some in the cases of some whiskey that brings out the flavor um so like that's definitely a legitimate way to drink whiskey um uh, okay with a tap make- like you would you can serve whiskey with a little jug of water and then people like put in as much as they want like that's completely a like, yeah, legitimate way to drink it. Ice probably would be sneered on slightly more. So I, so mine had ice in it. Mm, see, I had two ice cubes in mine, which I didn't ask for, but I didn't ask for the whiskey to begin with. So. Can I take these out, please? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to, yeah, really, really, just like double down on pretending I'm manlier than I am. <laughs> I could have just like scooped them out and flung them at him. <laughs> just discard them. Like just let them roll out of your hand in utter disdain. Yeah. <laughs> just on the floor. Yeah. I don't want your bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't do the 90s kid thing that well. I didn't, like, have spliffy jeans or anything like that. So I I, I don't think I ever had a shell suit, but not for, like, want of trying to get one. It was just, obviously, I didn't have my own source of income at that age. And um, my parents rightly said that they weren't going to spend, like, 150 quid on an Adidas shell suit for me. Yeah. So I was always, like... 
I was always like kind of close to what the fashion was, but never quite right, which is almost worse yeah. than just being completely wrong. Yeah, so like, I totally have sympathy with that. Like yeah. my mom and dad would wear trainers, but they would be like Clark's trainers. Yeah. So they, would <laughs> look, they would look like Nike's, but yeah. they would just be the Clark's version of that. <laughs> exactly. And basically so, that was across the board. Yeah, yeah, exa- I'm exactly the same. So when like, do you remember when Adidas poppers were like super like yeah, fashionable? Yeah, yeah. Um, I never had a pair of those, but I did once have like a pair of like Adidas joggers that weren't poppers, but they had like a little zip that went up to like the ankle. Yeah. Um, and that's as close to poppers as I ever got. And yeah. like, I was pleased with them to begin with, but um, like having something that's close to the fashion is worse than just not even trying. I can't, so like I yeah. got destroyed at school for them. Yeah, there's, that is a weird thing, isn't it? Like I don't know whether that's a good question. Is that worse? Like, was it better to have an Adidas with a zip to the ankle or Marks and Spencer's four stripe poppers? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think probably the coolest thing would have been to just even try and wear um wear corduroys, just like be be yeah. your, be your own man. But um, I, yeah. I mean, as a fourteen-year-old, I was not popular enough to be different, so I was trying my hardest yeah. to fit in. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I can't really. I don't have like loads of memories of that particular period of my life. Not not because I'm like I don't think I'm blocking them out. Um, but just like, yeah, not. Loads. I have some like quite vivid. Had I went to a bit of a crazy school, that was like a. It was a private school. Basically, my mum and dad got some money um, from my grandfather, and they felt like the best thing to do with that money was to buy me some education. Um, it was what it was. I don't have a like particular. Yeah, it was what it was, but it was a crazy school. I basically also wasn't clever enough to get into the good ones. <laughs> so I went to a slightly shit one that was equally expensive. But it was madness. It was madness. I, a school was nine till five. What? And then I had like a bus journey home. Like I didn't get home till six. And I left the house at like half seven or something ridiculous. That's mental. House the whole so, I, so I didn't yeah. know that we had this in common, but I went to a private school for a few years as well. Um and Did I'm you? really ashamed of it. Like, I really, like, if ever I'm hanging out with, like, friends who are, like, Labour voters or whatever, I try not to bring it up because it's um, it, it really goes against my, like, socialist credentials. But um, so, <laughs> so for me, it was um, – so when we moved to the UK when I was, like, 12, um, my sister started going to this private school. And my parents sent me to this, like, just the worst school, like a real shithole school, which is now, like, closed down. Like, I don't think it was quite burnt to the ground, but it wasn't oh far my, off it. Mine's closed down, too. No way, really? Really? Yeah. Well, so, so mine so um, mine closed down after I left it. I think I was probably keeping it, yeah. single-handedly keeping it afloat while I was there. Um, but basically, when I was in year eight, I turned into a dick. Like, I just became this, like, just horrible person who would, like, talk back like swear at teachers walk out of classrooms talk back to my parents like um my parents once grounded me for a couple of weeks because they caught me vandalizing admittedly the only thing i was vandalizing was a shopping trolley so i think it was a victimless crime but nevertheless it was like it was it was who i was becoming that they were worried about um so they took me out of that school um and signed me up to the same private school that my sister was at um and man like the transit like talk about a culture shock right like going from yeah this like special measures i mean i don't even think the phrase special measures existed then but if it did it would have definitely applied to that school to the private no no no, no to the other one that i was going to before the, the yeah, other yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 um to like this private school just surrounded by pretty rich kids lots of whom like i see now on instagram and stuff who are like successful they've all got like you know, they're all professional musicians and actors. Like it had like a performing arts kind of vibe to it. So they're all like making tons of money off like the performing arts. Um, well, they're certainly letting you know 
that via Instagram yeah. lives. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And I reach out to them every now and again. I'm like, hey, hey, rem- remember me? I was the guy who, um, when you guys all had Adidas poppers, I had like the slightly more budget version. Do you remember that kid from school? And yeah. like, generally, they don't reply. <laughs> That's my experience. Um, wow. Which I think, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't found anybody from the shit school online, but I feel like if I did find them, they would probably reply if they remembered who I was. Yeah. That's, that's that's a little bit of um I'm not I'm not in contact with anyone. I'm just double checking myself. I I don't think I'm in contact with anyone from my secondary school. No, me neither. Like there's not I don't have that. I've got one. I've got one yeah. guy from sixth form. That was after private school. That was another so I did, I went to three separate secondary schools. Um and the guy from sixth form, I've got one guy who I'm still in touch with. Uh, but yeah, that's it. It's weird. It is weird. Ah, oh, fuck them. It is weird. I don't need those guys. I like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm better off with that. I think there's definitely some problem. There's, I definitely have some concerns over the youth ministry and some of the stuff that is churned out. Um, but I also have, I mean, some of those ch- concerns can be paralleled at the church too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I wonder if, like, it's a system to which youth ministry in church is is problematic. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. Yeah. You know, I don't know whether that's that's really where some of the issues lie. So it's just it's just in a corrupt system, um, and I I've been like really reflecting on um, the idea of prophets and kings um, out loud um, with a few people, and particularly someone someone said to me, and I and I think it's true that. Well, it doesn't matter if it's true or not because the kind of thought of it is interesting anyway, which is that um, you can't be both a prophet and a king. And um, that kings are really about um, holding the institution and keeping it going. Like you can't, you, I mean, you couldn't ever get any sort of like opinion from the queen on what, like, on what, on anything. Um, because she's all about holding the like institution. So let's say profits and royalty, <laughs> keep it gender, yeah. gender neutral. Um, and, um, and, and profits are all about like either supporting that royalty or challenging it or like calling something out of the system, but keeping a, like a foot out of the system. And I, and I kind of wonder whether, like, in some way, some of youth ministry has, like, tried to become more kingly, where it should have always just remained, like, prophetic. And I wonder if that's partly, like, because in the main, like, young people are prophetic yes. um, because of how they experience the world. And, I, you know, that's part of the dream at WID is that, there will be a real prophetic edge there. That, and I'm not talking about like, I have a word from the Lord and I'm going to take yeah, it to the yeah. church or to the culture, but like what theology, what art, what like um, music is being created, what kind of lifestyles are being lived through with that is is being prophetic to the, to the culture. And I think... And I, that includes youth ministry, and it includes the church. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. It's um. There's a bit of monologue. No, there. no, no. It's Sorry good. It's that. like I'm. I think you're absolutely right. Like I think um, it's interesting because I think I think youth ministry as again like as a subculture, I think possibly thinks that it's prophetic. Um, like I think it yeah. probably uses that language more than it does the kind of like it you know the, the you know the, it's almost like a stereotype isn't it of like the 
the the youth worker kind of railing against the establishment and the system and that kind of stuff um but but actually even though it uses that language it ends up kind of propping up an establishment or a system it's like i i read this um i i wish i could remember off the top of my head the um name of the article uh, but i like I, i'll dig it out and put it in the notes for this episode if it, when it gets published um this brilliant article about um youth participation and it was saying that participation is this word that became um like in vogue during the kind of new labor era. So um, there was lots of talk about, you know, we want to hear young people's voices. We want young people leading our society, uh, you know, all that kind of rhetoric. But really what it meant was we want to provide uh, a, a, a safe forum for young people who agree with us to be heard, you know? So it wasn't, it, they weren't, it wasn't really about young people radically changing a system. It was about, young people almost like using young people's voices to prop up a system and giving the illusion of real participation and challenge um and then in 2011 we had obviously the um the the london riots uh i think that it was it was student loan like uh so it was tuition fees wasn't it that that triggered that but just these you know this this horde of angry disillusioned young people who just took to the streets and started smashing shit up basically like they were you know just the anger had bubbled over to the point of breaking and the rhetoric then i mean admit it it was a different government but but david cameron was all on board for the participation stuff and you know all the hugger hoodie and all you know all that kind of stuff that he was talking about the rhetoric changed from we want to hear young people's voices to like completely demonizing them, you know, completely criminalizing them. We will find you and you will go to, you know, we, there is no place in society for you. Now, that's not to say that the young people were right to set fire to local businesses and that kind of stuff. Like that's that's a bad thing to do. Um, but it's just that thing of like how how participation in, this is completely outside of the church, but just in, in an establishment, that kind of language of participation was used to kind of, we can, we can use this safely in such a way that it doesn't really challenge us. And actually young people ended up not feeling listened to and ended up just kicking off basically and setting fire to stuff. And the reason why I'm talking about that in a context of youth ministry is because I think that can be what the kind of youth ministry talk about you know, the, 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 the kind of prophetic language that youth ministry uses can end up being that. And often I think youth ministers don't even recognize it themselves that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, railing against the system and, um, creating something new and being kind of provocative and that kind of stuff. But really actually what we're doing is just giving people enough of a taste of that, that it doesn't really challenge the current system. It doesn't really challenge the church. You know, you can, you can go and be countercultural and prophetic in the special room that we have for youth groups during a Sunday morning church service, and then come back in and join in with communion with all of the adults in the way that the adults do. We've got like, like at the moment, there's a, we, we've got like narratives in our culture of young people doing reckless things and changing the world in a, in an amazing way. So we've got like Greta Thunberg, right. Who's, who's everywhere at the moment and who, you know, certainly a lot of what she's done and said is kind of reckless, but it's doing something, you know, it's gaining traction. And, um, you know, a few years ago there was the, um, do you remember the March for our lives movement in America and those young people who led that? And there's one moment, especially which man, like I wish I could just show everybody this video clip of a young woman, Emma Gonzalez leading, uh, like that's the one, that's the one with the shaved head. And she leads like this, just crowd of people who'd come along to this rally in it's something I can't remember the exact, I'll get it wrong, but it's something like six minutes and 12 seconds or something like that. So the amount of time that it took for the shooter who shot up her school, to 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 do what he yeah. did so she leads this crowd in silence for these six minutes and 12 seconds or, or whatever it is and as she's doing it like tears start kind of streaming down her cheek and it's, it's just this like powerful like wow wow just connected mm-hmm. human moment and again these are like this it's it's young people being angry being reckless 
but really, really doing something or like, you know, um, Malala, you know, that's another one. There's so many examples. Yeah. And I feel like, like when I was working for, um, uh, for a church, uh, like one of the things that would come up every now and again would be, I'm slightly hesitant about saying this because I don't like that potentially people who are involved in this might listen. And what I don't want to sound like is I'm saying that these people are idiots or unreflective or whatever, because the, the people who are coming up with this are good people with good intentions. Um, but the suggestion was kind of like, let's bring young people onto general synod. And, yeah. oh man, like I really, really pushed back against it because it's just kind of like, what that does is it's saying, let's bring young people into our establishment. So let's invite young people to eat at yeah. our table, but it's our table still. So here, here's the rules. And, you know, you got to take your shoes off and this is, this, you know, this is what it's polite to do and that kind of stuff. So it's not really empowering young people and it's not really actually getting young people's voices. It's, it's yeah. just kind of co-opting young people. Maybe um, it's, yeah. it's, it's maybe ticking a box. And like I say, I, I really, really like, I'm so, I mean, I don't even know if I'll keep that in the final cut of this podcast because I've got friends who are involved in that, who I love and who, who absolutely have the right intention of, we want young people to, young people's voices to be heard. Mm -hmm. But that kind of answer of like, well, we have a system. Let's just, let's just crank the wheel a little bit harder to get more young people into it. It's just ain't it like yeah. that. That's not, I, I couldn't get behind to that kind of thing. Cause it's not that reckless thing. I don't think it is this, this recklessness I keep coming back to. And it's like the gospel narrative is just so reckless. Yeah. Like that God would send his son to earth in the form of a baby that would be like so vulnerable that it would need a human teenager to yeah. look after yeah. it. Like it's reckless that God, God, God would would be mm. crucified, that God would like would weep and cry with people. This this is reckless this stuff that he would like she they would um would would not be like, you know, coming with a like PR strategy um for like, you know, sharing of miracles and such like and spreading the good news um like with without an instagram account like it just feels like it all of that the gospel stuff it, it is just reckless um the gospel narrative is just reckless and it was always and it was always against the establishment you know against the roman empire that was like coming in against the pharisees it was always that out the outsider and it feels like we we basically try and coerce, co-opt um, the young people into the system without giving them or allowing them any space. Where we've got a gospel that is massively reckless, yet we try and like pacify mm. that Jesus or pacify that gospel narrative, um, and and yeah. And I think it's to yeah. its detriment, to the detriment of your people yeah. in the church. Yeah. And we try to, you know, the, the other the other side of that coin, the product of that is that we try to pacify young people as well. Um, I grew up as a young person and then as a grown-up teaching young people um i had this philosophy of just be careful guys okay because the world outside of the church is dangerous and alcohol is dangerous and sex is dangerous and drugs are dangerous and if you start to go anywhere near that line man your eternal soul is at stake really like that's what it felt like um and mm. i i have a kind of you know two 
on the one hand, I've got the feeling of like recognizing that that narrative has messed me up in ways that I'm still dealing with, you know, that, you know, through counseling and stuff, I'm still working my way through. Um, but also I have, I guess, you know, just a sense of personal responsibility of like, you know, I helped propagate that message and helped kind of, you know, yeah. I, I taught that to young people as well. Um, so on that, I'd like to go down that like rabbit rabbit hole a little bit because it's the whole like, and I've got a question at the end of it. So because it's the whole like history makers thing, right? So there was um, a sense in which in the mid nineties through to the like mid two thousands, I guess, or early nineties to mid two thousands. Um, <clears throat> There was a like delirious movement of not as in as in the band, not of crazy <laughs> yeah. young people. Um, not of actual delirium. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we were told we were gonna be the history makers, right? That was the like we sang that hard and we believed that. Uh, and then there's then there's like this sort of fallout which has come about in the last few years which have you know people have every now and then like raised his head on twitter or some form of like you know that was so damaging why did we do that to young people at the time and i was and i was kind of reflecting and thinking well what did our youth workers at that time think of and i think like they swallowed the kool-aid right they were like they bought that too they bought that too the people that were taking us to these things, people that were taking it, I think they, they had also bought that narrative. Um, and then I was like, then like flipped that and was like, well, what do we want for our young people nowadays? Like, do, what is the like, what's the, what is the equivalent of that? Like, cause we don't, it's not like we're saying, I don't know what we're saying, but we're not saying, negative stuff over our young people and i don't even know if we're saying like you just need to get through doesn't feel like that really cuts it either um there 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 has to be this sort of like balance between there's something in it for me which is about balance of like understanding mystery and unknowing and darkness and like light and goodness and hope so this balance between um, like the the un yeah the unknown and the known and the kind of power and and lack of power and um, all the other sort of pieces of our faith which we try and hold in balance and intention um, that young people can hold those things like death and resurrection at the same time. Um, and like a reality of both those things. Whereas I think in the nineties, we were just sold a lot of resurrection. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, but I don't know. I, yeah, but I, I think there's also something about, there has to be something about a hope for the young people that we also engage yeah. with and work with. It does. It does. does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know what the, I don't know what well, the equivalent I mean, is. yeah, but I, I, yeah, no, I know completely what you're saying and I've reflected on it myself that actually, um, so I think if I were to really, really distill down, what do I want for young people in general, for the, for, for, for the young people who I know, let's say. Um, and I do think there's something about the knowledge or the, not the knowledge, but the faith and the hope that, um, that the universe that everything around us is, is created in love and that you as an individual are loved and deserving of love. And ultimately it's that like that Julian of Norwich thing, you know, all, all things shall be well, all things shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Um, I think that is a like properly life changing faith um, that can you know, when I think about young people who I've met in mental health hospitals, uh, young people who I've met who are, you know, 
grappling with huge amounts of stress because of exams or family situations or whatever. I feel like that faith, you know, if, if they could come to, to have some understanding of the universe around them as holding them in love, that's a real healing thing. And I want that for young people. And I think that's, that's the stuff that really ultimately is, is expressed in the gospels. Um, and also, I mean, I think what the other thing that that's important about the Christian narrative is that that love is mediated to us in human form. Um, so God is revealed in the person of Jesus and, I think, you know, in our lives here today in Britain in the 21st century, the love of God is revealed to us through other people. So when we feel ourselves, when we experience ourselves as being loved, then that's a, that's a holy moment, right? That's a sacred and a life-changing thing. And whether or not you have a language of, you know, faith, God, the Bible, whatever, whether or not you're a Christian, I feel like that experience of knowing yourself to be loved, here I am safe with this person, and that's an amazing thing. And and for me, that's like, that's, that's what I want for young people. And having been quite critical about youth ministry subculture, I also recognize that I did get that from growing up in a youth group Um that, you know, I struggled with, mm. with school. Um, I wasn't, you know, as we've already talked about, I wasn't one of the kind of popular kids at school and I couldn't quite keep up with, uh, whatever, whatever was fashionable and popular and whatever at the time. And I always got it slightly wrong and was a bit of a kind of awkward nerd at school. Um, but then when it came to my Christian youth group, uh, I had a group mm. of, you know, whatever, 20, 30 people, my age who, who I knew like, I was confident that they liked me and that they enjoyed spending time with me and they looked forward to seeing with me and uh, to seeing me, sorry. And just like, that was a probably life-changing thing. And I remember um, having arguments with my parents about it because my parents were kind of rightly concerned in some ways that like, you know, this is almost a little bit cultish how much time you're spending with these guys. You know, it's like, it, it's, uh, there was a time when it was getting close to, you know, every night of the week. Um, but it, I wanted that because what that group offered me was something that I needed, something that was really important to me that like, they were, they were giving me an identity, I guess. They were giving me a place where I, where I existed and where I mattered. Um, and I think that's, mm. that's really key. That's a, like at the heart of it. And if, yeah, if, if, if youth ministry could find a way of doing that without all of the, you know, the baggage, the, the kind of post-war middle-class ethics um the which actually do the opposite of making people feel loved they make people feel judged and anxious right like if you've got this narrative of here with this group you're safe and you're loved but if you go outside if you start having sex if you start smoking if you start drinking then you know god's got an angry side too um and you might not be you know, they wouldn't necessarily use this language, but ultimately the subtext is you won't be quite as welcome as you are now if you start doing that stuff, mm-hmm. um, which is toxic. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's that real mixed, like, on the one hand, yeah, it changed my life and it made me feel like I mattered and that I belonged and that kind of stuff. But it, it didn't feel like, it wasn't like unconditional love. It felt really kind of like, if I slip up here, I've, I lose all of this, you know, like, and, and more. Um, so yeah, how do you create that kind of community with and for young people where, where they can experience that, like that real unconditional, you are good and you are welcome and you are accepted. And it doesn't matter what you are doing before you got here. Um, it doesn't matter what you believe, uh, you are still good and accepted, uh, I think there's something about like, oh yeah. I mean, like, it's true. I think it's good. I think it's true. And I think like I have a resonance with that in my own like youth group. And actually I look at the people that were in that youth group now and like statistically, um, we, we're, we're like, we, we shouldn't be where we are in terms of like carrying on with our faith, you know, uh, most of them are currently do have a faith in and of like and the, and you know 
interestingly, having had that conversation about like, no, no, I'm not in contact with any of my school friends. I'm in contact with most of the people who are in that group, um, in my, of my church youth group. And I think there's something interesting. I mean, I'm in the church of England. I'm sort of, I work in the church of England and I around the church of England a lot. And so I understand that piece of the big C church, um, world. Um, and you know, in the Diocese of London, there is reckoned to be around about ten thousand children and young people, of which we think around one thousand to two thousand are ages eleven to sixteen. So, like, not many. When you break that down into there's four hundred and fifty parishes in the church. If you've got like in the diocese, if you've got like two or three. If you've got four young people, you're like yeah, way yeah. above average. Um, and so, um, um, that like creation of those kind of communities, which are super important, it's really hard when you're, when you've only got a few young people in your church. I then went to like thinking how much people have been disparaging and, and, um, and taking pops at larger churches within the diocese. You have big youth groups. Um, but the reality is that, like, that is, we've just said that that's where we felt most engaged and encouraged in our, in a slightly larger youth group. Without, I was like, just thinking as you were talking, so last week I was doing some, um, or pre- preparing a presentation for work, which was about kind of developing a, a culture of participation. So, so my work is now obviously not it's it's completely outside of the church it's it's still working with young people but not in a christian context but so it in that non-christian context creating a a culture in which young people are active participants rather than just recipients and um the illustration which i kind of ended up with was uh, uh it, it's it's a really nerdy but web browsers um so you've got like the internet explorer model of a web browser which is, you know, you've got a a big, huge, multinational, you know, billion-dollar company in Microsoft who brings on the professionals, and they maybe do some market research and that kind of stuff, but ultimately the professionals say, this is what a good web browser looks like, and we'll put it out there and people can use it for free. Um, then you've got the Firefox model, which is an open-source model, uh of of web browser so what firefox does or mozilla does is it says to people hey uh you probably know stuff that we don't so come and help us shape this brilliant web browser um so anybody join the community you know if you think you've got an idea join the mozilla community um and there's cool stuff here that we do there's training events and that kind of stuff you can learn and and whatever else but ultimately you're involved you, you know you're joining to be involved in creating something you're joining to be involved in creating a product which you can be proud of that people can use for free um and you're not just a consumer or or like a someone who are phoning for market research, you're helping us to create this thing. Mm. You're a partner in this. Um, and I mean, I don't mm. know anything about Mozilla's kind of structure, but you know, the idea of moving away from a centralized, um, like a board of directors who decide how everything goes to a more like, yeah, mm. you know, if you, if you want to be involved in it, come and join us and, t- and tell us how it's done. Um, and I guess, um, sorry, I'm just going to cough. <coughs> um, the the church and and youth ministry as part of the church has been operating under the kind of Internet Explorer model of things for a long time, right? So we've got the professionals, um, and this isn't an anti-professionalism thing because I think professionals are really important, but the professionals have been running the show and young people or worshippers or, or whatever um, – have been treated as kind of recipients, you know, so we do the work so you can come along and, and take part. And I, like, for me, I'm excited about a vision of youth ministry and of the church where we still have professionals, you know, we still have people who have studied theology and, and, and know how to read the Bible and that kind of stuff like that. That's really important, I think. But 
they're not the board of directors who are shaping everything. They're part of the conversation. They're contributing to the conversation as are young people, as are homeless people, as are sex workers, as are, you know, wh- whoever, anyone who wants to be involved in creating this thing, um, c- come and join us. Um, but I guess that's, uh, well, obviously that's scary for the obvious kind of, you know, uh, politics of power reasons that it, it, takes people's Mm. power away from them you know the people who have power at the moment but also i think it's kind of scary because it involves saying um you know maybe maybe we didn't figure everything out two thousand years ago you know like maybe maybe there's stuff about god that we don't know yet um and maybe there's ways in which we've been interpreting all the jesus stuff completely wrongly that that we need to hear other voices and you know, the, that philosophy, I think of saying, come and be part of creating this thing with us involves some humility and, and also letting go of some certainty, which is kind of scary because it means saying, well, you know, maybe, maybe we've got the sex stuff wrong, you know, maybe we've got the, the hell stuff wrong, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, you know, if there's another voice that's coming in and saying, maybe you're wrong about this to actually listen and to not go, well, look here, here, but you can borrow the CS Lewis book and it'll explain to you why you're wrong. Um, yeah, like that's a, that's a much scarier thing, but also it just kind of feels to me like that's, I mean, well, I don't know. I was about to say that's more like what Jesus was doing, but everybody thinks that their idea is what Jesus was doing, right? Like, I'm not sure that that's a helpful thing to say. (laughs) Um, but that's what I'd like to do anyway. Yeah. You know, while I was still thinking about what like success in inverted commas would look like in in that context. Um. I was struck by um, Father Gregory Boyle, who runs um, Homeboy Industries in LA. He's like one of my heroes. And in his book, Tattoos on the Heart, um, he talks about um, success and the idea of success. And that I haven't got it with me, um, so I can't sort of properly quote it. But basically he says... um, whatever success you're searching for in young people, you, you, you'll find it. And, but that's because you're searching in the wrong places. Um, and that in that, basically if you want young people who are, who, who are going to become Christians, then you, you'll find those young people because you'll go to like the middle white, the white middle classes. If you're white and middle class, and you will find those young people who are likely to respond to some sort of, I don't know, 10-week course over an evening meal or something. Um, and But he was, he was sort of challenging that and saying, well, that's not really like, perhaps success is a different thing altogether. Perhaps success is not finding that. Perhaps success is sitting down with young people or like whatever inclusion of whoever's whoever's there it's hard right because we live obviously like we live in a real world um and like professionalism matters and keeping young people safe matters but also keeping the people who pay our paychecks happy matters um and and meeting objectives matters um but like on a kind of i don't know maybe slightly romantic impractical way I kind of think like a prophetic. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and prophetic in the sense that a lot of like, it seems to me that the gospel stories are so prophetic because they don't look successful, you know, that they, you know, Jesus right. dies, you know, um, betrayed by his friends. Um, and well, he's like, I'll heal you. Yeah. But don't tell yeah, anyone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, that's such a, like, yeah, that's such a hard thing to, like, how do you convince people to, well, I don't know, maybe you don't. I was about to say, how do you convince people to pay you to be a youth minister? Um, 
when we asked that question to Sam Wells, um, like a couple of three years ago. So Sam Wells, uh, Reverend Dr. Sam Wells from the from yeah. Sid Martin Fields wrote a book mm-hmm. called Nazareth Manifesto. It's kind of like the influence um, behind with being called with. Um, he in his book Nazareth Manifesto talks all about being with and there's, um, and there's like uh, working for um, working on and being with. There's another one, but I've forgotten it now. But but and the but the idea is that you know like you can't um, working for is like a chef. Uh, who cooks food for people um, working on is like, I've got all the power. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And then being with is this kind of alongside um, piece anyway. And we asked him that question, like, so how are we going to convince people to pay us to do this? Um, Because it's like, we love the philosophy or the like, theology but like how do we convince people to pay us to do this he was like well that's the million dollar question yeah (laughs) it's also like there's a real risk in using that kind of language to justify a kind of theological laziness right um that you know my my role here as a youth minister is uh just to be a nice guy you know and to to hang out with young people but my god if you've really got that properly though that theology that is yeah. way harder. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Way harder. As it goes back to the fundamentalism, right? Because it's just far easier to tell people what to do and to tell people that wrote answers and like that and just go with that. Actually sitting with someone and like listening to their narrative and their story and like journeying together is much, much more difficult. I think but like you say, I think people use that as a... Is it? Is, uh, yeah, completely, shitty. completely. You know, like, uh, I mean, how, how often, I mean, one of my absolute, like, uh, just pet peeves is is the kind of, is a model of youth work that's all kind of about, um, yeah, you know, we we open up the youth centre on an evening and, you know, we play table tennis with the young people and, you know, play some pool and... Uh, and uh, yeah, that's it really. And then they go home. Um, and but you know, some of the conversations we have around the pool table are, are just gold. And like, I always kind of feel like that's not you're, that's <laughs> not a you're not being a professional. You're just being a nice guy. Like what what you're doing is just being nice to people. <laughs> that's that's not a career path. Um, and I just yeah. like I wonder if the answer in, in that question: How do you measure success? How do you make it? You know that kind of co-created community into something tangible maybe there just has to, does there have to be an element of something being created like i i don't know what it is but you know like like with the firefox thing that i was talking about earlier on the the measure of success is yeah. well look at this amazing web browser we've got and actually it's better than internet explorer um is it yeah. is is the answer that we're we're not just bringing young people together that's the start but we're bringing young people together so as to dot 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 you know so as to what um to to create something to 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 do something to to do something in their local communities like i wonder if it can almost be like kind of a maybe to begin with just an arbitrary thing you know we'll bring young people together to do a litter pick and we'll know that we've done well because we'll have picked up litter you will have bin bags full of litter to show that we've achieved our goal for today. But the litter picking is almost, you know, like that's fine. That's a, that's a great thing to do, you know, good on litter pickers. But the the real goal isn't the litter picking. It's the, it's the stuff that, you know, it's the, it's the relationships, it's the listening, it's the empowering, it's the, it's the informal education, you know, all that stuff that goes along with it. But just having something to like, mm-hmm. you know, we'll create a mural together. I, I, you know, I don't know what it is. We'll start a band. Um, but I feel like having something creative just gives it some um, parameters, I guess, you know, some boundaries. 
stop trying to get it right. Don't worry about getting it right. Just like, I think there's something about that. Don't try and get it right. Or there isn't really a right. A hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. That's what, man. I, yeah. That's, right. that's what I, I wish someone had had that conversation with me as a teenager. Exactly that. Like the, you know, and not just from the church, but from, from the culture in which I was living, I think, you know, from, from the private school and the academic expectations of private school to the church and the moral expectations of the church, there was a constant like worry that there's something wrong with me. I'm getting it. You know, I need to work really hard to get this right. Uh, all that kind of stuff. And I think, yeah, I think what you've just said is really powerful. You know, don't, don't worry about getting it right. Um, sorry, I cut across you. It has to be like, it has, I mean, like that is the real, that's the sort of headline. And I wonder, and I, I, I wanted like, I want to, I want it to be a bit more than that in some ways as well. I feel like there's something about like, like, oh, is that real, 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 real poem or like quote, which talks about um, uh, allowing the questions to be questions rather than seeking the answers in order that you, because you can't handle or experience the question, you have to live into the questions and they'll become the answers. And like, I just think that, should I find it? Um, that would probably yeah, be yeah, more helpful. Um, no, I don't. You know, do you know it? Oh, okay, right. Well, in that case, I will find it. Real um live into questions i love it it's like <sighs> here we go uh reina maria rilk um be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart and try and love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are now ri- written in very foreign la- very foreign tongue do not uh, do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will gradually, without noticing it, live long along some distant day into an answer. Mm. Like, I, d- I think like there's something of expressing that to young people, which is like, you don't have to have it right. You don't have to have it nailed now. Like those things that are questions are okay that they're questions. Um, and like someday they might turn into answers, but you need to like just ha- be happy in the question um, and I'll be with you in the question. And there's space for like mystery yeah. in that. Yeah, I love that, man. I think that's really powerful. And, and I think, I think at, at the for me that's what the gospel story is kind of all about you know it's uh it's kind of god saying you know i i i know you're not going to get this right and that's okay um you know you know ultimately if christianity is all about us getting it right then jesus kind of died for nothing i think because for me, the whole mm. Jesus, the, the point mm. of the whole Jesus thing is, look, I'll do this so that you don't have to, you know, I'll get this right so that you don't have to. It's done. It's taken care of. Um, yeah. Mm. I, yeah. I love that. I think that be, just be, be okay with not knowing the answers, be okay with being flawed, mm. be okay with messing up, um, because I am, because God is, God's okay with you doing all that stuff. So you should be too. Yeah. And there, there is a like, there, I mean, we've talked about this extensively, but I think there's like, there is, there's something about creating culture where that's acceptable, which is really important. And uh, that, that is, that is the key to youth ministry. I think going forward is that we do create a culture where, we allow we allow for unsolved questions to go unsolved, um, and 
we allow for getting it wrong and we allow for mm-hmm. not being right. Um, and, and once, once we get over having to have it right ourselves, I think that gives more space. <laughs>